Let's take our Bibles and let's head to 1 Corinthians. Um, we started this last week uh, as we went through our, our study of we're talking about the gifts and one of those areas that we're talking about are gifts uh, of tongues for today which is hotly debated. Let me start off with something that I think is it, I hope people hear and hear correctly. I grew up in a Roman Catholic church. I've shared that with you in my testimony. I was 16 when I finally got saved. And when we were growing up, we were taught, since I went to Catholic grade school and even into part of the beginning of, high, of junior high, we were taught that there's a whole collection of individuals that are called saints. And in the Catholic faith, we were taught that we're supposed to pray to those saints who then will turn and pray on our behalf to Jesus. One person in particular who is extremely potent and powerful to whom we can go to is Mary. The, the, she was In our teaching, she was called a virgin Mary because she was perpetually a virgin, and we never understood that from the Bible. Mary and Joseph had other children. So just to give you a little background and just sharing with you this idea, do you realize that the Catholic Church has canonized or made people saints, 10, over 10,000 of them? And so there's this large collection. And the thought is, how do you become a saint? And there's a process that the Catholic Church has that's spelled out in their doctrinal books and how they operate that they mostly follow. Not every case. There are some exceptions to them. But typically, if somebody's going to be canonized or they're being elevated to the position of becoming a saint, the process goes this way. It has, they have to be dead for five years. Again, in recent years, there's been a couple exceptions. John Paul II and Mother Teresa they were put to the front of the line. But typically, the criteria is be dead for five years. And during that time, there's research being done on the individual. Did they live a heroic life? What they mean by that is, were they pious? Uh, did, they, did they practice the Catholic faith in earnest and with uh, sincerity? Then the other critical part to become a saint is this. There has to be evidence that they performed at least two miracles that are verifiable, like a healing or something spectacular, something on miracle level, that they can document, they can verify that somebody was praying to them and they beseeched God in heaven and they brought about a miracle. Now, the only exception to that in recent years is John Paul II. They only had one miracle that was verifiable, but they put him to that status right away. My question for you as a believer is this, okay? And if you catch the words, verifiable miracles, something that people say and they document and they investigate and this really, really happened and they can prove that somebody was ill and then the doctors afterwards say there was a miraculous healing. My question goes this way. Does the claim that people have experienced a miracle in the name of the saint legitimize the practice of praying to saints? Just because it happened... And they had this experience. And it might have been a good result. It might have been a physical healing. Does that make it okay to pray to other people as your mediator? You're saying, no, why not? Because you're going to point to a verse in Scripture. There is one God, one mediator, and that is not Mary or any saint. But the one mediator between God and man is who? Okay, okay. So you would agree with this statement that just because they experienced a spiritual happenstance or a miracle, that doesn't legitimatize praying to saints. You would say that that's true. People shouldn't do it, right? 
Okay. Then in that same pattern of thinking, then why in Christian circles do people say, I had an experience, therefore it's, it's a legitimate experience? Just because you had an experience doesn't mean that everything that goes with it is legitimate. Does that make sense? Okay. So why do we condemn the Catholics for them doing this and propagating saints, but people in our type of circles where they talk about being born again the right way, they will say, well, I spoke in tongues, therefore it's legitimate. Why? Isn't the, isn't the criteria for determining something not experience, but exegesis of Scripture? Does that make sense? Okay, what does the Bible say, not what did I feel, not what did I experience? Would you agree the Bible is our authority for faith and practice, okay? Not an experience or not what somebody else claims. Because if we say, well, that preacher said this or that experience, you're doing the same thing the Catholics do. You are putting other things in authority over Scripture, and you and I, if we say we're really true Bible believers, we believe in this idea of sola scripture. The Bible alone is our faith and pra- for our faith and practice. Right? Okay. So then our question goes back to what does the Bible say about tongues? Here are the facts. And we want to be honest with this. We pointed this out last week. There are three occasions in the book of Acts where we read them last week, so I'm not going to be dogged uh, in and take the time for it. But in Pentecost, the apostles got up and spoke before the crowd. They spoke in tongues. Whether in that moment they were speaking in tongues or the people hearing them were hearing them, I'm I'm not sure exactly which I lend towards they were speaking in the language, but the people understood them. That occasion, they were languages that the Galileans did not know. We also have it happen when in Acts 10 that Peter goes to the house of Cornelius and he shares the gospel. They apparently accept the Lord in the gospel because all of a sudden they speak in tongues and Peter with his Jewish friends say, how can we forbid these people from being baptized? They've just received the Holy Spirit, which Peter knew came with salvation. So they must be part of the family of God like we are, even though they're Gentiles. And there was that indication by the sign of tongues that Peter understood they've got the same thing we've got, even though up to this point the Jews were not accepting the Gentiles as a whole. Then there's another time where Paul is going preaching. He runs into a city and he runs into people in Acts 19 who were followers of John the Baptist. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, we don't know anything about them. We don't even know about the baptism other than the baptism of repentance that John was preaching that pictured sins being washed away type thing in purification. And he preaches unto them the idea of Jesus and Jesus being the one and only and baptism in repentance remembrance of Jesus. They follow in baptism. They also speak in tongues. And so there's that three occasions, which this is Bible fact. Bible fact is the book of Acts covers 30 years. So would you say tongues was a norm or it was rare? It was rare. Correct? Okay. We don't even read about the church of Corinth practicing in, uh, the tongues until the book of Acts is almost completed. 
So there's not this pattern that every time, and people will say it's all the time, every time you read in the book of Acts, people getting saved, they spoke in tongues. That is not true. That, that is not Bible supported. It happened, but it seems to be more of the exception than the rule because other Bible facts. Let's do another, another Bible fact that's important. It is this. According to 1 Corinthians, which we took the time to read at length last week, and Romans chapter 12, which also gives us a listing of the different gifts of the Spirit, we made these four or five observations. We made this comment. There are many different spiritual gifts. There were some 25 that are listed that we gave you last week if you take all the different accounts from Corinthians and Peter's epistle, uh, from Ephesians and from Romans. And so there's different gifts. We pointed out, according to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, where it says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit at all, to profit with all, for to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom to another. He goes on and lists out some of the gifts, and verse 11 says, by all these works that one and selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man as he wills. It's the Spirit of God that chooses who gets what gifts. With that in mind, they are not obtained by you and I doing some gestures, pumping ourselves to a certain emotional status, repeating a certain phrase. We also saw in this passage that we just read, every believer has some gift. Everybody has at least one that he gives to every man severally as he wills. All of us have been gifted by the Spirit. They vary. Okay, but the idea is we don't all have the same gifts. Look at the end of the chapter. And again, you can discuss this at length where he asks at the very end of the chapter, verse 29, 30, 31, he says, are all apostles. And I pointed out to you last week, in the original language, it's clear. It's the answer is no. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all have the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. The point is, not everyone has the same gift. And that's that whole account of in the body, you have eyes, you have nose, you have ears, you have different body parts. We're not all the same, but we all have value. We made this observation. The distribution of the gifts, some are based on the spiritual character or maturity of the individual. Can you think of any gifts? Last week you remembered a couple of them. The pastor is the, the office of a pastor is a gift, and not just an act, but an office can be a gift. And so the pastor teachers, they have qualifications that they need to be spiritually mature. So some, office, some gifts are based on your maturity. Then we ask this question, are some of the gifts, are they given to immature Christians? The answer is yes in the Bible. And there was two illustrations that you gave. One was that one from Acts chapter 10, that Cornelius, who just got saved when Peter was there, he spoke in tongues right away, and he's just a neophyte in the Lord. The other illustration is the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, he talks about these tongues being in the church. That's the whole idea of chapters 12, 13, and 14. Should these things be happening? But remember who the Corinthians are. I could not speak unto you as unto a spiritual group, but as unto a carnal group, even as unto babes in Christ. And yet they did have tongues happening in their church. 
They were, had some of the gifts, but it wasn't because they were spiritually mature. So the claim that somebody may make to you that every Christian speaks in tongues, that's bogus. That's not fits the scripture. It might fit their idea, but it's not Bible. Number two, the claim that if you speak in tongues, that means you are spiritual. That's not true either according to scriptures. It may make the person feel good, but that's not what the Bible teaches. So we go a little bit further and we say, okay, why does the Holy Spirit give gifts? And this is, you've got to, got to make this part of the discussion when you get into it. We pointed out that already according to chapter 12, verse 7 of this text that you have open on your lap, the first and foremost reason for the gifts is to do what? It's the body ministry. It is not for a personal elevation. It is to profit with all or the whole group. The gifts were given for the benefit of the church body, not for the exaltation of one individual or another individual. In fact, let's take the gift of the pastor. Let's take the idea of those who are involved with organization. In our church and in the New Testament, it would be deacons. What does the word mean for deaconing? Servants, table waiters, what are preachers supposed to be called? What's another term? Uh, don't, maybe I should be careful. It begins with an M, okay? And another term that, there's, that they're given. Ministers, what's that imply? They're to be serving, okay? And so this idea is to benefit the body. That same illustration is pointed out in Romans that the body, every part is to benefit. Never for self-promotion. According to Hebrews 2 that we looked at in, the, in several weeks ago, and again we mentioned last week that he says that some of the gifts were given to confirm those who were going out and speaking the word that Jesus first spoke, the apostles. And he confirmed that they were messengers from God with a new message by giving them the signs and the wonders. So look up the text. We've already expanded it in, in a couple times. So to confirm the gospel, to get the attention, like he did in Acts chapter 2. They spoke in tongues to get the Jews' attention to say, listen to what we're saying about this new message. And it's, this miracle of speaking in tongues was to indicate this is something from God itself. Which brings us to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, which is a critical verse that very few people seem to discuss at length when they talk about tongues, in verse 21. He's talking, and this is in the middle of a paragraph talking about tongues, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. Who is this people referred to in the Old Testament? Israel. Okay, it's from the book of Isaiah. He's talking about God speaking to Israel. And yet for all that we will do, they will not hear me. Did that happen in the New Testament? Did he speak to the peoples of Israel in another language on an occasion and people still didn't listen? When? Okay, we're Acts chapter 2. At Pentecost where it happened is one of them. He says, wherefore tongues are for a sign. And then he defines who they're assigned to. In verse 22, not to who? Not to believers, but to who? Unbelievers. Okay, then he goes on and talks about the declaration of God's word. That is something that is beneficial to the, uh, to the believers. So we ask these simple questions. Some were given to be a sign, okay, to what group of people, to the Jews in particular, which gift in particular, tongues, is the, the one in conversation, which Jews, in this text, unbelieving Jews, okay, that he, uh, yeah, unbelieving Jews that he's talking about, and he's saying, did that happen in Acts? And the answer is yes, it happened at Pentecost. 
Okay? And so then we go to Acts chapter 10, and it didn't work that same way. In Acts chapter 10, it was assigned to the Jews, but to Peter, that the Gentiles were being brought in. It was a rare occasion, the only time it, it happened in that, uh, that we know of. And so in that case, it was assigned to the believers. So at times, early in the book of Acts, it was used this way, and it was used in another way. But by the time we get to the book of 1 Corinthians, and he is saying, here's the way Acts are going to work. He is saying that they're going to be assigned to the Jews in particular, and especially what group of Jews? Unbelievers. And so he's indicating to us that as the New Testament moves on, some things in Acts weren't happening the same they were afterwards. And even today, some of the things that happen in the book of Acts, they aren't happening the same way they are today. And so we need to be careful then when we go back to the book of Acts and say, okay, we grab something and we say, okay, then are, is it mentioned in the epistles? And I remind you that this whole idea is built on what you call progressive revelation. God has given revelation. There's some that's first given, and then he builds upon it, builds upon it. Then he builds upon it. Then he builds upon it. And you and I who are living in this age, we are supposed to be really focused on some of the last messages that he gave that was specifically to the church. 1 Corinthians was to the church. And it defines how he wants tongues to be operating in the church age. And so then we were here today where we picked up and said, there are three possible answers to this question. The gifts of the Spirit, are they operational today? What are the three possible answers? Yes. No. Some. Or the maybe. Okay? Right? It's got to be those answers, one of those three. It's either yes, that they are still operational, or it's got to be no, they're not operational, or some are operational and others aren't. That's your answer. Okay, but what, how do we get to an answer? Okay, so what we have to do is we have to say, okay, either they're all or they're none or some of them. Let me go where we were several weeks ago and just remind you. According to Acts chapter 1, and he talks about it in verses 21 and 22. They are choosing a new apostle. What was the criteria for a new apostle? He had to see Jesus in his earthly ministry. He had to be walking with him. Can somebody today fulfill the office, the qualifications to be an apostle? No, or they're so old. They're probably voting in the Senate. Okay, they're that, you know. So he's he, in this passage in the in the scriptures. The idea is that some gifts they were only for that time period, based on the qualifications, the prerequisites. We would say, let's take it a little bit further, based on the purpose for the gifts that they were given to confirm the messengers that that, that were talking and carrying on the message of Jesus. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, which we're going to explore here in just a minute, a little bit more in depth, again, there's this idea that the purpose of the gifts, if they're no longer needed, then they're no longer functioning. Do we still need pastors today in the design of the church? Yes, the epistles go on about it. Do we still need people to say, hey, listen, you know, we need to confirm the message of Jesus because... You, you don't, have it in, you don't have the message of Jesus anywhere else but through me. 
because I was walking with Jesus and it's not written down anywhere what he said. Do we need those people anymore? No, the answer is no. And so 1 Corinthians 13 gives us a little bit more insight to both the purpose of some of the gifts and it gives us the prediction about some of the gifts. 1 Corinthians 13. And so if we just dissect 1 Corinthians 13, go to verse 8, 9, 10, and then we'll, we'll go back into the rest of the setting. Charity never fails, but whether there be what? Prophecies, they're going to what? Okay, my King James says fail. Anybody have another word? What did you have? Okay, they're going to pass away. Very good. Whether there be tongues, my King James says they shall cease. Do you have another phrase? They shall cease of themselves. Okay. Whether there be knowledge, it shall what? It's going to vanish away. That's what King James says. Anybody have a different translation? Pass away. Okay. Okay, so let's, let's look at the wording. And you write up in your Bible. Write these things down because this is very important. God uses specific words in this verse, and it's not always the same, but he repeats one of them. So we're talking about three gifts. We understand what tongues are, that it is speaking in a language that the person didn't know. When it comes to prophecy and knowledge, I'm not fully, fully competent, I don't think, to say fully what is, is the prophecy, is it the ability to tell the future, is it the ability to proclaim God's word, is it both? Knowledge is a giving some insight into the mind of God in a more direct way that some of the apostles had that was more intimate, that God just spoke directly to them. And so the point being that all three of my have this much I'm confident, they were ways of God communicating his will, his word to people. Okay, they were forms of revelation. Whether they were inscripturated or verbal, that's another discussion. But they were forms of God revealing his mind, his will to individuals. Prophecy, knowledge, and tongues. Prophecy and knowledge, the same word is used for these two. Not for the item, but what's going to happen to them. They both use the word katargeo, which has the idea they're going to diminish over time. They're going to pass away over time. And they are in a passive verb, which means something is going to cause them to, to go away. Something is going to make them obsolete, when he, use, when he talks about tongues, he uses a different word. They will suddenly stop. And he uses it in the middle voice, which means it's going to run out of gas of itself. They're going to just stop. And they're not going to continue. The knowledge and the prophecy, they may continue a bit more. But tongues, they're going to stop. And they're going to do it all by themselves. But something is going to replace or, take or cause prophecy and knowledge to fade out. And so the conclusion is, these gifts were temporary. There's no other way to interpret, is there? Okay, They were temporary gifts, just like the apostle was temporary. As well, with something's going to bring an end to prophesying and knowledge as it functioned that way at that time that direct communication with God that maybe like Abraham had where God could speak directly to him. Something's going to come and those two are going to fade out. Tongues, they're just going to stop. They're going to cease and they're not going to fade out. They're going to suddenly disappear from the face of the earth at that some moment and it could be, the indication is it's probably before the, before the prophecy and knowledge. As they're fading, tongues will just stop. The question that you and I have is when does that happen? And so 1 Corinthians 13, you continue and say, okay, and he makes the comment. 
He says in verse 9, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, that idea that it's just giving us some information, the part has the idea of tidbits. They are giving, and this makes perfect sense to me, that prophesying, prophesying um, having knowledge, it's just giving us little segments of God's will, God's way, God's word. It's not, it's not a big section, but it's just what do we need for this moment? What do we do about deacons? What do we do about this? And so he's giving them tidbits, but he says when that which is perfect is come, he doesn't use a personal pronoun that some people would say, well, he's talking about Jesus Christ. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a personal, it's a thing that's talked about. Okay, by, by the original language, it's a it's the, what we would call a neuter, an object. It's not a person. When that thing which is perfect means complete, entire. And in context, what are we talking about? We're talking about revelation. We're talking about tidbits of God speaking to us. When that which is complete or perfect is come, then the partial tidbits, they're going to go away. They're the, so the complete revelation is going to cause the prophesying and the knowledge to just fade out. Does that make sense? Because that's what it says. Does it make sense to you? Okay. And so the idea is once we have the entire Bible, there was no need for prophesying and knowledge and tongues. They have the whole Word of God. And we were talking about it in Sunday school. Is the Word of God powerful? Oh man, what is Jesus speaks a word and all the nations will be obliterated. His word is potent. So when his word is complete, then all these things are going away. So our answer to this is blank of the gifts of the Spirit are still operational today. Is it all of them? It can't be. Not by Scripture. Is it none of them? No, it can't be that. So what is it? Okay, some of them are functional. So we know very clearly that, the, that some of these supernatural ones, but I'm still going to go back and discuss this a little bit more. What about tongues? Because this is the one that that's causes more division in Christian circles. Yeah, we've already answered a good number of some of, the, some of the claims that are made, but I want to go a little bit further and make sure that when we, that you understand what we talk about tongues, what were they? Well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if I was a propagator of tongues, I would take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and I would tell you this, based on verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, I would say, see, the Bible says tongues is speaking a heavenly language. It's the language of angels. So you want to be able to speak directly to God, and to do that, you've got to speak in God's language or the heavenly language, you've got to speak in tongues. And there's my proof text for it, is that phrase. And so you and I look at it and say, oh, that's interesting, okay? Does this one little phrase prove there is a heavenly language that angels speak and God speaks, and it's called tongues in the New Testament? I struggle with that, just because that's, that's, when I study the rest of the scriptures, it's just like, whoa, that doesn't fit. Let, let me take where tongues is for the most part. Most of the cases of tongues is called ecstatic speech, that all of a sudden the Spirit fills you and you are just speaking something, okay? And, you know, some will say it has to be a language, but some that practice it do talk about just a gibberish or just a phrase, but you don't understand it. It's a heavenly language, and somebody's going to interpret that it's something phenomenal that's being said. Consider the following facts from Scripture. 
about this idea of this ecstatic gibberish. Paul in this text is using a hypothetical. If I could speak with tongues of men and angels is the idea. And I have not charity, I become a sounding brass. If I had the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. He isn't claiming he does this. He isn't saying, I have all knowledge. I understand all mysteries. He's not claiming that. He's saying, if it were possible, and though I have all the faith so that I could remove mountains. Ron, Ron, most of us are like what Ron shared with us at the beginning. We've had some ups and downs. We've had some questions. We've had challenges to our faith. And Paul is saying, if I never had any doubts, if I never had any struggles so that I could move the mountains you know, and do all these things, he is talking in a hypothetical situation that even if it were possible, he said, but I don't have love, then all these things are wasted. And he goes on and makes a comment, though I could bestow all my goods to feed all the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have, it doesn't profit me. So he's not claiming he has this ability or they're fully real situations. He's using a hypothetical and exaggeration, which by the way, you do all the time. If you're arguing a point, you might even say, well, if that were possible and we could do this, you you do this with your kids. So if all of them jump off a cliff, you aren't saying they all do. You're using it as as an example, an illustration that's an exaggerated one. And so Paul is saying, if this were even even a possibility... So he's not advocating that there is this tongues of angels. He's just saying, even if it's possible. And when angels spoke, did people understand them? Every account in scriptures, when the angels spoke, what did they speak? They spoke in human languages so that the people understood. There never is a case in scripture that an angel appears and Joseph has to say, time out, I need to find an interpreter here. Never happened. Mary didn't say, oh, wait a minute, I need to go and see my Aunt Elizabeth. She needs to interpret what this angel is telling me. When, when Zacharias is in the temple and he's all of a sudden the angel appears and he just, oh, he understands what the angel, he doesn't believe what the angel says and therefore that's why he goes dumb for a period of time or mute. And so what happens is they seem, they communicate in languages that we understand. In languages. In fact, the word tongues clearly, clearly in Scripture, it means a language, not a gibberish. The reason I say that is this. In Acts chapter 2, starting there, they use the word glossa. Glossa, does it sound like any books that you might use that deal with language? Glossary, okay. Glossa is literally, in the word means a foreign language. It's used 30 times in the New Testament. And most of them are translated tongues in the English. And so there's another word that it talks about and it shows up in Acts chapter 2 in that same context where they are speaking in a glossa and then Luke writes, and when they spoke in their own dialect... What does dialect indicate to you? Okay, something specific to a region. You people have a dialect around here. Okay? Yeah. The, the <laughs> certain areas of the country have different... Okay. Is it... <laughs> I was going to say, is it understandable? Um, the answer is, for the most part, it's, it's a regional 
dialect. I, I don't know. In fact, they go on and it says in that same text, we hear them in our own dialects and it lists a whole bunch of them. Do you remember that text? We hear them from our region. Do, does, does that have dialects? Does baby talk have glossa to it? Okay, so this idea of ecstatic speech doesn't fit what's happening in the book of Acts or what Paul talks about later on. And so the idea, it's a real language, not known to the individuals, that they're hearing something being spoken. In 1 Corinthians, that same thing is supported in this text, in 1 Corinthians. When he says, some have the gift of interpretations, the word that is used, the gift of interpretations, is the word hermeneuol. The word literally means to translate. Okay, to take from one language to another language. In fact, he even says in chapter 10, verse 12, he asks this question when he's talking, he says, or makes this comment, that, that the Spirit gives different kinds of tongues. Gibberish is one big group. But different types of languages unknown language. In fact, the word that he uses, those of you involved in science can appreciate this more than those of us who aren't. It's the idea of a genus or a family. Different kinds of tongues. Different families of speech. Different areas. Different regions. Different languages. You know, like you have today. We have a whole bunch of languages that are based on Roman or Latin language. Yes? that have spread. You go into the Far East and you have all kinds of languages that have spread from some genus of a family of languages that are Oriental that are based more on tones. And you can, it's very tonal. But that's a whole family of language or genus of families. And he's using these words. And remember, Luke is a doctor. He's being very precise. He's telling us what this was. They were languages. You don't have different languages of just some ecstatic speech that, you know, baby talk, so to speak. The Bible clearly gives the evidence that those who spoke in biblical tongues were speaking real languages that they didn't know themselves. That they all of a sudden had the miraculous ability. But then why in our King James in particular is the word unknown put in there? That I'm going to argue this from the charismatic point of view. It says unknown. That means nobody ever knows it. It's a heavenly language. It was unknown to them. I mean, the, uh, the, the people translating the King James, when they were putting it together, and maybe even some of the other translations, if you have it, give them credit they were being honest. They were trying to define. And by the way, if you look, if you have a King James, which I have, like in the same thing, or a new King James, what do you notice about the word unknown? It's what? It's italicized. What does that tell you? There wasn't, the, the unknown wasn't there in the original. The authors, the writers of it, put it in there to do what? To help us to get, make sense of what he's saying. But in modern church, what happened with it? Yeah, and all of a sudden, it's, it's not making sense anymore because some are running with it. So there's no word in the original. It's inserted by the, the translators who are trying to be honest and helpful. And they do this several times. Sometimes they'll insert a verb. Or they'll insert the, uh, the direct object. Because we in English, we, that's the way we read. 
And so you'll see those italicized words. It's not that they're being dishonest. They're just trying to explain it and, and help us out. All it's saying is I help, I'm going to let them speak in an unknown tongue. The idea is in a foreign language or dialect that they didn't know about. There's another question we could ask. Okay? Or make this comment. This is so important. We'll end on this note. It is clear in Scripture that when it comes to tongues in particular, they were never intended to be practiced by every single one of us. Even if we were living in the New Testament era. How do we know that? Okay. Chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, what verse you want to look at? Verse, the end of the chapter, right before verse 31, what verse you want to look at? Verse 30. What's he ask? Do all, he starts, do all have the gifts of healing? And the answer is, do all speak with tongues? The answer is no. How much clearer do we have to be with Scripture and honest with Scripture? Not, the gift of tongues was never intended to be for all believers. So if somebody is telling you you have to have this gift because this gift will mean you will become spiritual and it's the gift that everyone gets once they get saved and are really genuine, what do you know from the Bible? They're not teaching you truth. They're teaching you contrary to the Scriptures. I can't be more blunt or more pointed than that. And so we could go on, we could ask other questions that are going to be, what about praying in tongues? What about the idea of, of Paul saying, you know, I speak in more tongues? And what about the phrase, forbid not to speak in tongues, at the very end of this whole discussion? How do we handle that? How do we say it's not, it's not possible to be done today, but we're not supposed to forbid speaking in tongues? Aren't we contradicting scriptures ourselves? No. No, we'll show it to you next week. Father, thank you so much for this discussion, for the attentiveness of these folk. And even though I know, Lord, that I've, I've repeated myself, I hope that going over this and over this makes sense more and more so that these folk know why they believe what they believe. Help us to follow your word with clarity, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here.